Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another Scientific Spotlight. I'm your host, Brenda Eve. Today, we're joined by Amelia Anderson from SciClarity. Continue listening to learn how a summer project using computational modeling led her to pursue a PhD in it while co-founding SciClarity. Here's Mia. Hi, Mia. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I usually like to start off by asking um, if you were always into science as a kid or what sparked that interest in you. Um, and yeah, so why don't you start? Yeah, yeah. Well, I came from a scientific family. Uh, my mom is a microbiologist and my dad is a hydrogeologist. So um, science has always been a really important part of my life. Um, and I always knew I wanted to do science. I just wasn't exactly sure how. Um, I knew I wanted to use it to to help people or animals, uh, but I was just really interested in learning it uh, from day one, pretty much. Did you? What did you major in in college? I ended up majoring in biochemistry. So um, yeah, I started off as pre med biology student, uh, thinking that I was going to go be a doctor, um, but then. Biology was not, I don't know, it was an enormous class, you know, how those biology classes are uh, at the UCs. Um, so I kind of specialized a little bit more into chemistry and that's where I was a lot happier. Um, so I found myself in biochemistry in the end and that's that's where I, where I landed. That's really interesting because I was also a bio, bio major. And then um, after just like lectures, like, oh, this is all like memorization. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was really hard. Um, uh, I don't like memorization. Yeah, and I actually, um, I I did bio because I wanted to become a forensic scientist instead. And cool. after studying abroad in Ireland and getting um a deeper exposure to science, I decided to switch to biochem, and I fell in love with just organic chemistry and all the biochem labs too. And yeah, I made my switch pretty late too I think it was my fourth year so it was you know it was extra physics classes and um math classes but I think it was all worth it um so from biochem then you went on to do your master's how did you get into computational stuff yeah, well, computational was part of the biochemistry uh, curriculum. Well, it wasn't really, it was uh, just kind of a little snippet that we got to do uh, in our biochemistry lab. And I thought it was really cool. I was really frustrated by it. It was really hard and, um, you know, trying to figure it out uh, from from zero experience with coding or anything. It was really frustrating, but I thought it was really cool at the same time. And um, then I got to do the internship, the SRF Summer Scholar Internship. And uh, they really encourage their students to kind of apply whatever they think is interesting to their project. And so they really let me run with the computational stuff with the project that they gave me. And um, it was really inspiring and didn't stop. <laughs> so here I am. Yeah, and then now you're um, also going for your PhD, right, in computational? Yeah, yeah. So uh, going back to how I got my master's, I met some professors through uh, my boxes at SENS. Um, Oki and Mike, they met a couple of professors who were working with the molecules that I was trying to model. Um, and they agreed to do, to do a project with me and the project went really well. And then they um, kind of helped me sign up for this uh, theoretical chemistry and computational modeling master in Spain. 
um, which was, it's kind of an Erasmus program. So there are a bunch of universities in Spain that participate in this program. And so we were all remote with our own university, but then we would all come together for a few weeks at a time to do these intensive courses. And it was really fun meeting so many people from all over the place um, and a lot of different backgrounds too. Um, but then COVID happened and uh, a lot of the travel got, got cut short, but um, still got to make friends and learn quantum chemistry and everything. Um, once I got that, then I, I was able to continue with the same professors into my PhD. Uh, so they're still my advisors and um, I'm hoping to defend in the next couple of months. Uh, we'll see, early next year. Ooh, exciting time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So was it your experience and guidance and mentorship at SENS that kind of made you passionate about more doing this in your master's and PhD? Definitely. Yeah, I think that their excitement about also learning this kind of new and interesting field with me and allowing me to kind of take control of this project and do some uh, some things that they weren't really familiar with, but that they were willing to, to connect me with the people who would who would help me. And um, so I owe it all to, to Oki and, and Greg Chin and, and Mike Cope. Uh, Got to give them all shout outs because I wouldn't be here without them. Yeah, that's really nice. Um, I think the first exposure I had to computational was in Ireland, actually, when I took a cool. class and we were all required to use Pymal, the software. Oh, yeah. um, and it was just really nice to look at structures. It was really pretty um, and just kind of learning about the hydro hydrophobic pockets and like all the residues that that affect chemical reactions and stuff like that. But I, you know, I left my interest there. So I never kind of pursued it. I still loved biochemistry um, and just looking at structures and um, learning the kinetics of reactions. Yeah. yeah, that's what I loved about it was just being able to see what was going on. I mean, like you can draw, you know, a reaction diagram or how two things might interact. But to actually be able to like visualize it in a molecular dynamic simulation or something like that, and then be able to measure it and know all of the principles underneath it is just so cool. Um, it's been an amazing journey to learn uh, everything about it and how applicable it is to everything else. Mm -hmm. it, just, it blows my mind all the time. <laughs> yeah, because it's also important, right? In like drugs and learning about the efficacy of it um, and, and pharmacology. So really important skill to have. Um, and I don't think we have enough bi um, computational um, biologists. So congrats to you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I think we need more too. Um, but I think that right now is a really exciting time to be a computational person because there's all this AI and ML. And it's just, we're we're on a rocket ship to space. It's, it's really exciting. So hold on tight. <laughs> yeah, so would AI be able to facilitate any of your projects or do you use AI in any sort of we way? We are just starting to work on that. It's really exciting. Um, so we have some ML models. We work with these molecules called cyclodextrins, which are like encapsulators. They kind of go out and, and grab bad cholesterol basically and, and sequester it away so that your body can process it. And that's the heart disease application of our drug right now. Um, <clears throat> but cyclodextrins are used in all kinds of other things and they're also a polymer. And so, we can use uh, a lot of the computational data that we've gathered throughout um, engineering our current molecule. And we have some other ideas of how we can use uh, cyclodextrins in the future. 
And so we can train these models to look for patterns with all of this data that we have right now. And um, it's finding patterns and uh, we aren't quite uh, like at the full, um, the full capacity of it yet, but we have a huge database and we're, we're training our models and it's just, it's really exciting uh, to kind of get to be a part of that wave with a completely new um, kind of perspective because nobody does this with our, with our cyclodextrin molecules. Some people do it with proteins and, and um, ligand kind of systems, but not, not so much for the cyclodextrin. So it's really cool. Yeah, so this is what you're working on now at Cyclarity, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're just trying to make novel, um, I guess, derivatives of cyclodextrin and kind of work. Yeah. It. Okay. We we have one that we've made, and that one is on its way to the clinic uh, for heart disease. Mm -hmm. And so that's a large part of the company is sending that molecule off the clinic and uh, getting it, it ready to go. Um, and then my part is kind of this platform approach where we know that cyclodextrins are useful for tons of different things. And we've successfully engineered one and we're trying to use it as a drug, which is about as lofty of a goal as you can have. And so we think that there's a lot more untapped potential that we can we can get into with our, our models. Mm -hmm. So do you also work with chemists or just- Yeah, cyclodextrin chemistry is a whole uh, animal. We have, yeah, <laughs> we have um, a couple of, of chemists, um, we have one who's worked from us, with us from the very beginning. He's kind of uh, been in cyclodextrin chemistry for his whole career. Uh, he's out in Hungary and he helped us design the original molecule. And then we have Kayvon, who is our full-time chemist now. He's been working with us for two years now and he's really uh, done an amazing job with getting our chemistry on lock and ready to go um, into, because synthesizing something that will actually go into a person is a lot different than just synthesizing something you want to play with. Mm -hmm. um, and so he has uh, really upscaled everything and it's been amazing to work with him too. And, and any question that I have on cyclodextrin chemistry, I can go to him and ask and he'll say, great idea or no, that will blow up the lab. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have an A side in there. So. Well, so I think Cyclarity's focus is more on like stroke and heart disease, right? Because it's the cholesterol that you're trying to sequester away. But do you exactly. have other implications of cyclodextrins and maybe like other chronic age-related chronic diseases that you see um, impl being implemented? Yeah, well, I mean, for for drug uh, possibilities, I think that our current drug actually has a lot of um, possibilities outside of heart disease. I think heart disease is uh, one really strong indication that we can go after, but our target, uh, which is 7KC, it's an oxidized cholesterol, and anywhere that that builds up, it causes problems. Um, so we think that, and it's kind of one of those uh, targets, those aging targets that like anywhere it is, it it um, causes problems. And so if we can encapsulate that in various tissues, then we could go after like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's in the brain, for example, or macular degeneration in your eyes or various age-related conditions that have this like buildup of, of gunk. Um, but then outside of our current lead, there's also applications as far as um, like in one of my favorites is bioremediation, like they're using it to filter out all kinds of um, toxins and pollutants in the environment. Um, so to get it out of your out of water or out of soil. Um, and so that's one really, really interesting application. Another one um, that's a medicine is is uh, 
like for bringing people out of anesthesia, they encapsulate the drug that basically paralyzes you so you don't kick your surgeon and allows you to, to come back, um, yeah, uh, easily and comfortably. Um, and so it, it literally grabs that molecule that paralyzes you and pulls it off of your, your receptors and allows you to come back. Um, so there's other applications like that that we could go after. So these drugs, so how, like, could you kind of briefly walk us through like how it's metabolized and how it's detoxed out of the body? Like, is it just, you know, I think it's like biodegradable, right? So it's pretty amazing. It's made of sugar. It's literally a glucose polymer. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, it blows my mind. It's like fiber. I mean, you can eat grams of this stuff and it will just go right through you. Um, but currently uh, we're looking at uh, either a skin injection or an IV. And so once it's in your bloodstream, then it will uh, encapsulate whatever its target is. And then it will go through, it'll basically be soluble. It'll go through your kidneys. Um, and so you'll, you'll just pee it out. And there is no, um, there is no metabolites. It doesn't break down. Um, and so it seems like it all, what goes in comes out. Um, but I would assume that dosage right is important or not yeah yeah so that's another um the cyclodextrins are in clinical trials for a couple of different things and one of the less engineered versions is in clinical trials for this really terrible disease called neiman pick um and it's a cholesterol metabolism disease and so cholesterol builds up in the cells and it just it wreaks havoc these kids have a really poor prognosis um and so they are working on getting this hydroxypropyl beta cyclodextrin uh, through clinical trials, but the doses that they need are just insane. And it causes a lot of problems down the line, just in the amount of stuff that they need to take and as well as uh, in hearing loss and a couple other um, side effects. And so ours is a much more potent version. Um, and because of the engineering that we've done, we think that if you were to do a similar trial to what the, the even pick kids are are doing with our our cyclodextrin that it would work a lot better with a lot lower dosage um and so we've improved the kinetics a lot by going after this particular type of of um complex that it forms with with cholesterol molecules yeah that's actually really interesting i'm just thinking because um a lot of my phd work looked at sex differences and i, I think mm. that i might be wrong but I heard or read somewhere that females are more prone to or susceptible to stroke and males are more susceptible to heart attacks. But it seems like it doesn't matter in this case, like the cyclodextrin will just do its work, right? With the oxidized cholesterol stuff. Um, I just like That's the hope, yeah. Usage would be really important to to kind of optimize in that way. I don't, uh, yeah. yeah. And saying things out loud. <laughs> <laughs> well those hormones do have a similar structure to uh you know cholesterol they're all steroids mm -hmm. um so that is something that we definitely want to consider we have um i mean doing off-target uh types of stimulations is another really important uh piece of my work making sure that we're not going to complex too strongly with you know testosterone or estrogen for example and and mess with those sex hormones um so uh, that's another use of the computational stuff and you're totally right that that is something that, that we're thinking about yeah well I mean so like taking on computational biology it sounds so smart I'm so like amazed every time I say that um, but I bet it was also a learning curve because me just trying to code sometimes it's, you know it takes days for me to just optimize the code or you know 
learn a program or something like that. How did you get through that? What did you, I mean, you were well trained, um, but <laughs> <laughs> I I had a lot of uh, gusto. <laughs> I was willing to to try and try and try again, but also the master that I took was really uh, that laid the foundation in a lot of ways for I mean I was working with the computational models I really appreciated them I thought they were cool I was able to run the simulations and stuff but I didn't truly like understand all of the underpinnings of it until I went to the master and that was where I had to learn the coding like more hardcore and the quantum chemistry and all of the underlying principles of the simulations but the cool part was going into that classroom the first day and seeing so many people from so many different backgrounds we had we had math majors we had physics majors we had biology majors we had like a neuroscience major like there were a very uh broad range of of people in that classroom and a very broad range of um experience with coding or computational stuff we all just wanted to learn it and it was so interesting seeing how people from different fields used the same thing to come up with a completely different thing in the end. And so that was that was the most fun thing for me was that it was really intimidating, but we were all in the same boat of like, <laughs> we signed up for this. Uh, we think it's going to be beneficial in the end. And so let's let's learn it. Um, and I'll, I'll use your perspective. You'll use mine. And in the end, I think we all we all had a really um, really cool time getting to know each other and getting to know um, the, the computational side of things and just learning all of the different perspectives behind it and how applicable it is in so many different ways was, was really cool. So mm -hmm. um, it sounds intimidating, but it's, it's actually beyond applicable for so many different things. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree. Um, and I'm just getting a fresh perspective on something too, right? Because you're so- yeah times where like someone else from a different field will you know offer advice or point something out that's super obvious so I like I yeah, think yeah surrounded by other people in the field <laughs> but um are you so I know you're super super busy you know preparing for your defense and I know there's a lot of data and stuff like that but are there other aspects of technology that's be currently being used that excites you just as much um, or even like the implications of computational biology in, I don't know, the geroscience aging field, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, I think it has so much, like right now is just the, the time to, to be playing with these kinds of models. And I think that AI and ML and all of this, um, this new technology that's coming to the surface that people are beginning to understand more and more, I think it's going to be really interesting to to tie together different fields as well as to make new connections within one field. And so um, I'm really excited to see what people do with it because it's it, there's just everything under the moon is, is there for the taking. So I'm really excited. Definitely. I do think that we need to be a little careful with some of the data that's out there because I think um, one of the the problems with AI and ML is that a lot of these uh, data sets they have to be really consistent, and they, if there's any flaw or repeats or anything like that, can skew things this way or that way. So I do think that um, carefully using the data out there is really exciting, um, and I do hope that people are are careful with it and come up with some really cool things. Um, but I can also see how 
tying the wrong things together can definitely lead you down some the wrong path so you have to be careful with that yeah I think the uh, um the important thing too is like how do you how do you approach the question right you don't want it to be too mm-hmm. or anything like that that can yeah. be biased um but wow this is this is I mean the work you're doing is really amazing but so let me ask you this like when you're not at the computer <laughs> um what do you like to do on your free time um, I have a menagerie of pets. <laughs> this is Bodie behind me. Um, so I have, I like to tend to them. I have a fish tank, which is kind of like a, a, a self-enclosed experiment, a fresh freshwater tank. Yeah. I have little shrimps <laughs> and fish. And um, uh, so I love tending to my animals. I also love being outside and just hiking with the dogs. And um, yeah, we just moved to the woods here. So it's uh, a really fun place to go hiking. Um and I love to ski. I, I am an avid skier. Oh, nice. Yeah, the past few years, right? It's been really long winters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see about this winter. <laughs> but um, the p- past few years have been really good. One last question. Do you have any advice for people who are coming into the field? And I mean, a lot, I think the people I've interviewed so far have all been pre-med and then realized that they didn't want to go down the, <laughs> you know, the, the route to practice that route being at the bench is more interesting and more engaging and more innovating um but do you have any advice to younger scientists who are thinking about coming into this field and even tackling on computational biology I mean so your I think your story is really inspiring because you were so passionate about it that you just kept going and you realized that this was something you wanted to invest your time in yeah that's that would be my advice for anyone, uh, scientists or not, is to, to follow your passion, to do what you love to do. And um, if you're doing what you want to do and what you are passionate about, then you will be able to get through those hard times. Because especially in science, that it's inevitable that you will have hard times that are just like, nothing is working. Everything is terrible. <laughs> like Everything is hard. And I don't like it. Um, but if you are feeling like you're in the right place and you're passionate about what you're doing, you'll be able to get through that. And that's what makes something really, really worth doing in the end. Um, And so I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. And it'll definitely pay off. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. If you're passionate about it, then it will, it will turn into something great. And definitely. In a few months, this is so exciting. Hopefully you get to defend in Spain. Yep, that's the that's the hope. Uh, so uh, that's the plan. Yeah. Um, the yeah, hopefully. Be- yeah, hopefully the weather will <laughs> will be good. It's uh, known to rain there a lot, but it's a beautiful place. It's Santiago de Compostela, which is also USC. So I can say that I'm I'm the USC grad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's they're not Trojans though. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I asked them. I'm like, do we have a mascot? And they're like that's an American thing. I was like, I didn't know. It's like one of the oldest universities that, yeah, at some point realized we didn't have a mascot. (laughs) You don't, I don't think you need, I mean, yeah, it's an American thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hopefully you can make up for that, that travel that was cut short during the pandemic. 
Yeah, I have gotten to go back a couple of times and it's always so wonderful to see Angela and Rebecca are my professors over there and they're so much fun and um, they host uh, host us there whenever we go. And um, yeah, they get to see their, their lab and eat amazing food. If you ever get to go to Galicia, go. <laughs> it's the best. I'm going to book my ticket right now. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> All right. Well, this was great. Thank you, Mia, for joining me today. Yeah. And for those of you who are watching, stay tuned for more Scientific Spotlights. Thank you. Thank you.